friends, welcome back to the Connecting Our Stories podcast. We took a little break at the beginning of this year. I don't know about you guys, but man, this year is flying by. We have a lot of new, fun, exciting, impactful things happening at Stories Foundation. We've brought in new staff members. We're moving into new offices. We've launched a new program. We have events coming up. And it's all with the goal of increasing opportunities for survivors and those vulnerable, increasing awareness opportunities, and continuing to raise the funds so we can have a Storyteller Cafe number one in our community with more to follow. I am very grateful for my friend Kat, who chatted with me on this episode of the Connecting Our Stories podcast. We are entering into a series about how our over-sexualized culture plays a role in human trafficking. And this conversation with Kat, we recorded on Human Trafficking Awareness Day in January. And so you're going to hear some of that. And this is just a really um, personal and impactful and authentic conversation with Kat Morgan, who works over at our friends and co-laborers and partners, Fierce Freedom. And she's just a great listen, really wise. And I hope you learn and enjoy this conversation. I'm super grateful to be having, that was really Minnesotan of me, whenever I say super or... Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Yes, oh, I am. Oh, I love it. I am from Minnesota, so but I am super grateful to have my super friend. duper hot dish grateful. Yeah, cat, with me today, um, to chat on the Connecting Your Stories podcast. Cat, can you introduce yourself for everybody? Yes, yes, Stephanie, and I'm I'm super excited. <laughs> no, I really am really delighted to be here with you today. So, uh, my name for listeners who don't know me is Cat Morgan. Uh, I it recently changed because I was married this summer. And so um, I, Stephanie, we connected through my work with Fierce Freedom, um, where I've been for almost four years now. We're coming up on four years in March, and I'm the community program specialist there. So uh, again, you know, we've we've partnered. You were just on our podcast recently, fanta- did a fantastic job. And uh, we've we've kind of had s- several projects and collaborations over the years. And uh, I love you and the work that you're doing. And I'm really excited to just share a little bit here uh, on your podcast too. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Um, I was trying to explain to you what this podcast series is. And at Stories Foundation, I talk a lot about how we have trafficking because of an individualized culture and an over-sexualized culture. And I realized that we really haven't talked a lot about over-sexualized culture and what that actually means or looks like in different contexts. And so that's kind of what these last, these interviews I've been doing, um, like are around is this over-sexualized culture. And I think we haven't talked about it because it feels awkward to talk Mm -hmm. about, but you know, today's human trafficking awareness day cat, and we're just, let's hit it. We're throwing awkward out the window. We are. And you know, I think I think it's both. I think we have a really weird relationship with sex in this country. I think it can be either really puritanical and really um, seen as almost forbidden and we don't talk about it, or it's the complete other way where it is just so outrageously hypersexualized 
and um, cater to younger and younger people that are being affected um, and just breathing in that environment. So again, um, neither are healthy and both can have uh, consequences that could lead to exploitation, um, could lead to trafficking. Yeah. Can you, I like to always go back a little bit and I would love for you to share with people a little bit of your story. How, what brought you to human Mm. trafficking and a human trafficking work? And um, let's go, let's start with that. Yeah. So I, I guess that I have kind of always had this like sense of justice and right and wrong. And I don't know if that's like, I'm the youngest in the family and it's like equal inequality was always something really, uh, that bothered me. I don't know, but w- I would say that it really came to fruition when I saw the film nefarious, which is an Exodus cry film. And I think they do fantastic work. So they did this documentary. They came to on campus at Eau Claire where I went to school And I saw it, I was actually drawn to it because I had some friends who were really interested and I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more. Um, I also remember seeing the film Slumdog Millionaire, which I know that's kind of random too, but that was in high school. And so that actually, if you look, there's a lot of labor trafficking that goes on in that uh, movie internationally too. And that was just sickening to me. That really woke me up. So yeah, Nefarious was in college. Upon seeing that film about the international sex trade, again, feeling that sick burden um, of what can I do? I can't believe this is happening. So I actually ended up joining the Eau Claire chapter of International Justice Mission and was involved. So I, I would meet, you know, we'd meet weekly and talk about these issues. But then I actually, this is kind of interesting. I went on a mission trip through a campus ministry I was involved with, with Jenny, Jenny's son, Matt. So we actually met up. He actually went to the University of Minnesota. So he wasn't even at my, this was such a God, it, you know, God just brought us together for, for a reason. And I remember this was maybe my junior year of college and we're on this mission trip and it was one of the first days and he's, we're sitting down and we're talking about what we want to do. And, you know, I think he does engineering now. And he said, what do you want to do, Kat? Because I have a public relations background, which was sort of just a choice that I made to like have a good major. <laughs> to be honest. And I was like, well, communication, I can do that. And there's no math involved. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to do in the future, but he said, what do you want to do? And I remember being struck by that. And I remember that moment really clearly. And I remember thinking, what do I want to do? And I, I answered something like, I want to do something in social justice. I want to do something that helps people that are in, you know, maybe, I don't know if I said trafficking, but I remember saying social justice. And he said, well, my, my mom actually has an organization called fierce freedom. So this was in 2014. I heard about this and he talked about fierce freedom. So anyway, that was the first time I heard about it. Fast forward, um, a couple years after graduation, uh, I had a job on the East coast, uh, didn't work out, came back home, started volunteering at Fierce Freedom because it was in my head. And I had a friend who was also volunteering and interested and she was talking about it. So it was a lot of little people along the way, kind of directing me there. And I started volunteering March of 2018. And uh, it, I remember thinking this feels so right. Like this is something for the first time in a long time where I, I feel like I'm in the right spot. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it really filled me up And so after that, I received, um, Jenny actually sat me down at a coffee shop and we, she offered me a full-time position that had opened up. And since then I've been doing this work. I love that. And I just, can I just point out in your story? I think so many 
times people think that we have these, like people ask me all the time, like, how did you get here? Like some monumental mm-hmm. thing happened to me that made right. me trafficking, <laughs> right. you know? And I don't have like some big story. I, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm reading a book, you know, we all do that. Mm-hmm. Right? And you, you know, you watched a couple movies and then you had yep. friends that spoke into your life and influenced you. And yeah. I just, I really hope people hear that, that, you know, mm-hmm we find out about things that matter in a, in a lot of different ways. And when you just follow Absolutely. that, like little yeah. seed that's planted in your heart, that's where change happens for us Absolutely. and for others. Right. Absolutely. It's a lot of little steps. And I think that that's uh, another important revelation is for people wanting to do something about trafficking or wanting to just, just keep going through those open doors. Like if you are seeking that in your heart, you're going to find opportunities. And we've talked about the stuff. It's like social justice. We can, we can look more broadly at that. So let's say that you trafficking maybe is, is important to you, but maybe you really have a heart for jail ministry, or you have a heart for the, like homeless warming shelters, uh, something that's a need that you are seeing. Maybe you want to mentor kids. Like you just, you are created to do something in this world and to, to create justice, uh, and to usher that in usher that forth. And so, um, I just hope people can hear that and think, well, what is something that's really close to my heart or what is something that really, I guess, sickens you about the world or something that you want to, that you want to combat. Uh, that's what I would encourage people keep pursuing that. Even if it's just volunteering, it's don't say just volunteering. That's a big deal too. Definitely. I love that. Okay. So first of all, I hope everyone heard that mini podcast we just had right there. Cause I was really important. Minnesota. <laughs> I just, just want to like, you know, make sure we're not going back. Tap that off. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I feel like, um, the more we've gotten to know each other is even more over the last year. I think mm-hmm. I feel the, the more I get to know you, the more I feel like, Oh, we kind of come from like a similar place in our childhood. I, yes. And like, I feel like, a, I don't, do you agree? Like, a, I do kind of like a camaraderie or connection. And so the last, um, the last interview I did, and I don't know where it'll land when you guys are listening, but was with a woman, her name is Hannah and she runs a, it's a business called the house of faith and freedom. And Mm. she created a lot of resources actually for pastors and church leaders around the issue of domestic violence and, um, Mm. intimate partner. She calls it intimate partner violence. Right. And so that churches can be equipped to handle when, when mm-hmm. women are, or, or men too, are coming out of domestic violence situations or when it's happening within their church, all of that. And, um, could you, I, I want, so all that to say, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about how the church, what the church has done right. And what the church has done wrong when it comes mm-hmm. to engaging our over-sexualized culture and maybe how unknowingly, even the church has allowed for exploitation and human trafficking to happen or, mm-hmm. or there's things that have gone unchecked. Um, and so then as a result, yes. we have trafficking and exploitation. I don't know. What do you think about that? That was a really oh. lot of content. No, I, I love it. And I, I do think that this is really hard because it's like, on the one hand, we look at the church, it's the bride of Christ and it's where I grew up and you grew up Steph. And, um, so many of our listeners I'm sure have, uh, had experiences, you know, was baptized, confirmed in a church and really there was so much love and there, it was this feeling of, 
um, belonging and, and your identity, I mean, is wrapped up a, a lot of times in the church or uh, the, the religious institution you're affiliated with. I mean, so many, so many of us get our uh, identity in that. And we, we grow up learning these Bible stories and it, it just gets in there. And so it's, it's a really beautiful thing to be part of. And I think there is an opportunity to really get connected and to um, feel, you know, just feel that companionship and that relation, those relationships that fill us. So uh, I think it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. I think that my experience growing up in the church was overall very positive. I will say, as we're talking about purity culture, that is something that was really, I would say something that I really had to receive healing from as an adult. And I think that we often want to minimize it because we internalize it. It's so hard stuff. Cause I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's like, there's messages and I don't even know when I picked up on them. I don't even know like a time, a date, you know, when I really started partnering with a lie about myself and my sexuality. And, um, like, so one, one thing I remember is learning about sex, um, from someone who came into our youth group. And, um, this person is a wonderful person. And I believe that they, they were trying to do their best. I really do. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in that. Um, but one of the exercises that we did was we took a piece of tape and I actually volunteered. So I have this thing where like in a group setting, if no one's volunteering, I feel really awkward for the presenter. I've always been this way. And so I will always volunteer, even if I don't really want to, um, you're so, so there you go. So empathetic and compassionate. <laughs> Thank you. Plus maybe a little attention seeking. There's probably a little of that, but, uh, anyways, so I, I volunteered to go up and, um, I remember, I think I was like 12 years old or so. So I'm, I'm really just starting out like in that, in that age. And so we go up and, and she takes a piece of tape and she said, okay, this is your like sexuality or, you know, however she said it. And so then she brought up three boy volunteers and she said, Kat, you now you've had sex with this person. And she puts the tape on their hand and then she peels it off. And she says, but now you guys break up and now you want to have sex with this person. She puts it on their hand. It's a little as sticky every time, you know? So there's the picture. And she said, every time that you choose to have sex with someone else, you, you are a little, so I don't even really know what the message was. It's like, you become less, you become diminished, maybe in effectiveness, maybe in connection, uh, those are some of those takeaways. And so, um, and I remember asking, I said, you know, like what, so does this mean that when I, you know, like, does this mean that having sex, uh, outside of marriage, like, isn't as good. And she said, well, in marriage, it's just really good or something like, just kind of like, kind of, uh, trying to answer me without saying, I don't really know what she was trying to say. Essentially though, like basically the message of like, if you wait and you have sex with who God has for you and you remain pure, it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be so fulfilling and everything, which isn't a lie completely because I mean, I did wait to have sex with my husband and like, not trying to like give too many details, but it's like, it has been an amazing part of life that I, I didn't know about before but it doesn't mean that it's made my life perfect and that I've never had any like doubts about myself. And she, like, there was so much unlearning because of messages like that. That's just one event I can point to. Yeah. It's so interesting that you 
that that's the story you chose to share. And there's so much I could say about that. First of all, the fact that you're only 12 and I have a 12 year old who is going through so many things <laughs> like emotionally oh, and yeah. um, she's really not ready for that kind of a sex talk. Like, let's just, no, I didn't feel ready that. either. No. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the other funny thing that funny, not funny um, came to mind is little known fact. I did abstinence talks for a short amount of time in my mm-hmm. life in high school. So I would go into health classes and talk about abstinence. And um, so that analogy, I've heard that analogy used so much in a wrong way when it comes to purity culture and the purity movement within the church, because what it's talking about is, and I'm not a science person, but it's talking about what happens with connectedness, right? Yes. In like the brain, in the brain Mm -hmm. is when we, we really aren't made like sex is a very intimate thing that bonds us. Like, you know, the same, um, yes. Hormones are released. Like when I nursed my babies. Right. So it's very Mm -hmm. connecting and it's the glue um, that keeps you glue, in that. Yeah. It's just really connecting. It's just what happens in our mm-hmm. right, right. And so if you know, it is hard to connect it, we lose a little bit of that. So mm-hmm. poor, poorly used analogy, poor timing in your life. Obviously that lovely lady wasn't prepared yeah. to understand yeah. everything she was saying. And the thing about us as Christians is don't we believe that God can redeem anything? <laughs> like, isn't that exactly, isn't that the point? So even if you, even if you have connected yourself sexually with multiple partners, God is the redeemer and the restorer. And, um, so yeah, I agree. It's like, since, and this is, I've come upon this knowledge recently. It's like, since when, or this realization, it's like, since when is our sanctification and redemption and external inside process? Like we don't first act that way or, or just maintain, physical purity and abstinence. And then we become redeemed because what I, what I was realizing about myself is that I actually virginity became an idol for me. Like it was an idol because I had wrapped up my identity in not having sex. And I had wrapped for so much of my youth and my twenties. Um, it just really, it was sort of a shattering reality to realize that even if uh, you know, I remember kind of feeling like, God, why aren't you letting me meet my husband? Cause I felt like so many people were meeting their husbands. I got married this year and I'm 28. So I'm not like super old, but it was just holding on to that. Like, Oh, I have to maintain my purity. And like, if you think about it, it's like, I wasn't pure in my mind. I mean, just admitting that I totally wasn't uh pure in my mind. And I also was looking to a future relationship with my husband again, to fulfill me in so many ways that I think God really wanted to fulfill me. But I, I, I internalize those messages of if you do X, Y, Z and maintain purity, um, this, this relationship will be the ultimate one that will fulfill you. Um, you know, and I just remember too, like books, like I kissed dating goodbye, like basically Joshua Harris, who's now, you know, kind of done an apology tour, uh, subsequently from that, but just different kinds of ideas being spread around that, uh, you know, just like maintaining that almost physical, like intactness of purity, um, would, would be a sustaining way of, of living and would also, um, I don't know, lead to sanctification or whatever that, whatever that ultimate goal was, but that's not, it's completely false. So I feel like there's so many places I could go with this. And, but I think this is where, this is where we're going to go today. Um, First of all, I think it's safe to say that 
the approach of purity culture and this idolization. I think that's really good how you put that of saving sex till marriage. And I think you're being your vulnerability and authenticity about talking about how your identity is wrapped up in that. First of all, I think that's extremely relatable. And I, I hope that the people listening, I, I just can imagine that that's really connecting with a lot of people because I think within the church, the danger is that we can, um, <laughs> we can create, we can create little gods, like you said, of like, this is what makes me important, or this is what makes me valuable, or this is where I'm finally going to be fulfilled and satisfied when exactly what you just said, that's only found, I, you know, we believe in Jesus, right. In relationship with him. Right. Um, right. And I think, so all of that's like amazing. And then I'm sitting here going, okay, so if purity culture wasn't like the answer, obviously, because we have so much sexual exploitation, we have so much trafficking, we have so many people coming forward who are hurt by purity culture. I guess my question is what can the church do better? And then I want to like undergird that with, I think so much of what the church has done and I say, and I want to say we, because I'm, I'm a believer and you know, we're part of the body of Jesus Christ. Right. So mm-hmm. I think so much of what we've done in relation to sex, like sexual education and sexual conversation is driven by fear. So I guess first, do you agree with that? Um, and then what can we do instead? Like professional from your professional opinion, Kat, what, what else has the church done that's been driven by fear and what can we do different? How can we change that? Yes. A hundred percent agree is it has been very shame and fear-based thinking. And so on the one hand, I think that when you're trying to control a population, you use fear and it works great. I mean, you're going to, if you're, if you're, if you're locating a fear within someone, they'll, they'll do just about anything, you know? So um, it's very manipulative, I think, to to think that way is to think, well, we can just it's just better to control people. The other thing I'm thinking is that I think I do see some of the instruction that young people are getting is very hypocritical. I think that um, they're being asked to be held to a standard that a lot of the people teaching never were held to. Um, and that's not to build more shame into it. But I think, again, the conversation needs to be more open and just say, um, because I think that God gives us choice. We have free will. And I think that scares the crap out of a lot of people is like, oh, I have to, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose the wrong thing. There's so much grace that I think we don't even we don't even, we haven't even tapped into. And so it, we can look at scripture and think when Paul says, you know, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And so I would love to see conversations about sexuality in the church and in faith communities be just so much more open, so much less, fa- um, so much less shame-based and fear-based uh, people that are coming at it, not from a I'm going to teach you and I'm going to tell you what to do. And just maybe asking questions, um, maybe asking kids, what have you seen in our culture and helping them to kind of develop their own filter as to the messages that they are receiving in their culture, you know, engaging with them on platforms that they like, like, why do you like this video? What is, what is attractive about this to you? Um, and really letting them talk and letting them explain uh, why why they feel, well, I know I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but this is really hard. And I feel like I'm uh, going in this direction and kind of affirm them that it is really hard. And But again, we have choice and God is, the thing is, is that I think as you learn that 
we have choice, but some choices are, we don't get to choose our consequences. So God is saying, this is, there will maybe be a consequence if you make this decision, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you through that. And I'm going to redeem it for you. That doesn't mean that you think, oh, great. I'm going to do whatever I want because that's still going to hurt you. I mean, you can, you'll still get a consequence. Um, and so ultimately God created us. If we can just go back to the faith of, you know, trusting, trusting in a God that has created us and loves us infinitely and saying, you know, you, you have the freedom to make this choice, you know, but there may be a consequence attached to it, but ultimately are you loved? Are you completely whole? Um, can God redeem it? Yes. At the end of the day, yes, he, he absolutely can. Um, and I think of too, about just the, the idea that, yeah, we think about, well, what if Adam and Eve had never sinned? So like, let's apply that to sexuality. What if I had never had sexual, like if I'd never had sex outside marriage, uh, wouldn't that have been better? Some, some would maybe think, yeah, maybe that it would have been better if they never would have sinned, but think about God's story of redemption through Jesus and how he was able to just show his love in, in such a incredible way that never would have, that opportunity wouldn't have come about, um, if there hadn't been the existence of free will and there hadn't been a trespass in the first place, think about how much more he was able to show his love and his glory than if that had never happened before. And so I don't want people to hear this and say that I'm condoning. Yeah, go, go sin, go have sex, go, you know, outside of marriage and, and do that. Again, I do think there are consequences that are attached to them and you don't know what those are. I think a lot of times we get in that mindset of like, well, I know what's going to happen. And it's just going to be, we're not God. You know, you're not God. You don't know what the consequence will be. You also don't know the people that are watching you um, that you're affecting by, you know, like the witness of what you're giving. So um, again, it's, that's not a shameful thing to uh, just be aware of that. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're whole, you're loved. I, I think that message really needs to come across and your value does not come from the fact that you're a virgin. That just needs to be shattered because that is something that especially young girls are, are being told and they are getting all these contradictory messages from media and, and apps like TikTok that are saying completely opposite. So there's somehow just so we, much there. Somehow yeah. we have to create, and I, this so resonates with me in my current season of life of parenting, um, a 15 year old girl. <laughs> yep. Somehow we have to create safe spaces where convert. I feel like this is what you're, I hear you saying so much is create these safe spaces where mm -hmm. we can have conversations where questions can be asked, where we can, you know, seek out truth together. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the Bible and Jesus, that's how he taught was, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, Kat, but he taught in parable and he taught in, yeah. in this way, um, the, the way of that, of the Jewish culture was to ask questions and to wrestle with ideas and to do that in community and in group. And we've kind of lost that, I think. Mm -hmm. And, and that takes a certain amount of faith to trust that God will lead as we question and wrestle and with each other and seek God that he'll lead us to truth. And, you know, as a parent, I, I teach and I, I hopefully create environments where my girls want to ask me questions and where Amy and I can have these conversations specifically. And then I have to trust that she's going to mm. make good choices. You know, I can't, I can't control her every moment. And, and, and that's, that's faith. It's, it's trusting that God is working where we can't. Absolutely. Um, yes. Okay. I so 
my next question is, um, oh, I lost it. Um, well, I was going to say, I was going to say something really quick and then maybe do you yeah, want to keep it? Maybe it'll come back. Yeah. So what I think too, that a lot of people maybe who are thinking about their kids, they're thinking if I don't talk about sex to them and I, and if I just like keep it sort of like keep a bubble uh, where they don't uh, interact with any, you know, um, junk of the world, so to speak. And uh, they're not interacting, first of all, to think that you're able to control your child and what they're able to see and what they're able to get into. Let's say they're on, uh, they ride the bus to school. Someone has a phone, you know, let's say they don't even have a cell phone. Um, someone else has a phone. They're showing them pornography in the back seat. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a phone is like a little cell phone is like a library of pornography. It's very easy. And there's very little that's deterring kids from finding it. So that's my first point. Secondly, I would say that you not talking to your kids about sexuality in a healthy way is actually creating more of a vulnerability in them because that naivete is something that traffickers are known to go after because they're just going to, um, because kids are, they're curious about sexuality as we all are, we're sexual beings and it is not shameful. It's not bad. And so, um, they're, that's going to be exploited by a trafficker. There's even traffickers that have talked about, um, they love the, they love even like Midwest girls because they're seen as very naive and very wholesome. They are marketable. Um, I'm sorry to say it in those terms, but that's the reality. And so I just really want parents to hear that too, that you not talking to your kids about this is really not helping them down the road. In fact, it's not allowing them to make their own decisions and developing their own filter. And so they're just going to look for the next authority figure. They're going to say, well, I've always been told what to do. So then that trafficker is going to say, great, I'm your authority figure. You can do what I'm going to tell you to do because they're just, they've kind of been a puppet their whole life. Um, so that's just some other thoughts I had about that. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, switching from creating conversations where we can talk about things openly and that's that more faith mindset around talking about sex than like a fear mindset, which is exactly what you said, can turn into something that shame and, you know, manipulation and all of those things, which I want to say, I don't feel like when I look back on the people in my life, I don't think it's intentional, the manipulation. I mean, I think it yeah. can be, but I think, I really do think that there's this, there's this fear in church communities and faith communities where we're so scared that our mm -hmm. kids are going to choose wrong that then we use, then that fear does motivate manipulation. And I Absolutely. just encourage you, if you're feeling that fear around anything, when it comes to this generation, like don't allow that fear to take over, choose to trust God and his word and what he's mm -hmm. doing and um, choose to have conversations to choose to engage in a way that's that's asking and waiting for the opportunity and leaning on the Holy spirit to say the right things. And, um, you know, fierce freedom actually has some really great programming. I wasn't going to go here, but I think this is great. I think you should talk mm -hmm. real quick about what you guys have created for both students and parents. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, right. So we're, we've been piloting, um, my coworker, Matt, who is fantastic, very talented. Um, he was an education, he has an education background and he also does a lot of uh, national speaking, uh, and teaching actually in schools. And so this is actually the perfect foundation for this program. It's called worth it. And so 
what we've seen as we've been in this fight against trafficking and in social justice work is so much of it could be disrupted by the the idea that everyone has value and everyone has dignity and worth um, as a human being because trafficking is the other side. It's a, on the complete opposite end of that where people are seen as commodities. Um, they are they're just they're sold. They're not they're um, not seen as a person. And so yeah, dehumanized. So basically uh, what we do, uh, what we've been doing is now we're going into, you know, high schools, middle schools. And so we have this sort of larger, you know, school assembly, depending on how large the school is, um, maybe it'll be individual classrooms as well. And so basically just going in, having a presentation um, that also talks about trafficking and gives examples of, you know, sexual exploitation using images, uh, things that kids can very easily find themselves in. So really relatable um, object lessons there. But also, uh, again, with the underlying uh, idea and message at the end that you have value, the person next to you has value, you don't have to do this anymore. And the person next to you uh, doesn't get to do this to you anymore. Because so often I think kids don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. They just think, well, I guess this is normal. Um, yeah, maybe that's something like we said with the vulnerability of not talking to your kids about healthy relationships and sex. Um, they're going to, they're, something's going to teach them, right? So they're going to, they're going to learn somehow. And so don't you want to be that person, (laughs) you know, rather than letting them learn that. And so, um, so yeah, so worth it is that initiative. We're also building younger with that. So we will be piloting, um, one for, uh, elementary ed. And, uh, I think we can say this officially, but, uh, so Chris, page, who is, uh, Stephanie's wonderful husband, uh, he, he will actually be, uh, spearheading the elementary ed, uh, for worth it. And so it's, it's really building on what he's already been doing for several years. And I think it will be really impactful for both faith communities. So churches can really take advantage of that, um, through biblical teaching, but also, uh, more broad for, for school. Yeah. So that's super, super exciting. It is exciting. Look at you just did that. That's so fun. We that's found, cool. that's we found out. Yeah. By the time this podcast launches, it'll be public. Probably. It will I be. Think it will so. be. It totally will. It will be. be. It feels it's like happening. Um, we're like, we're really excited about this partnership and collaboration. Oh my gosh. Um, so excited. Yeah. And we're, we're really passionate. Both of our organizations are so passionate about equipping parents, about having different conversations with students about the bridge between the faith community and the non-faith community, about getting in schools. And so that's really, that's really what this is about. So, okay, as we wrap up, I want you to tell me how you would answer the question um, or the statement, the question, you're at a church event, you're doing an awareness presentation, and somebody says, does trafficking really happen in faith communities? (laughs) I would say Sadly, yes, it does. And unfortunately, not only does it happen within. Okay. So not only is it something that I know and I have examples of has happened within like perpetuated by a member of a church. And I'm sure that that is, there are multiple cases. Um, we can look at leaders like Ravi Zacharias coming out involved in, um, involved in illicit massage parlors, which we know are one of the largest areas where trafficking occurs. So those are some examples we can draw from. 
But not only that, it's a lot of times uh, there's there's statistics out there you can look at, but many times a trafficking victim at some point within their experience will look to the faith community, someone within the faith community, uh, whether they go to a church or whether they go to an event or um, someone they know that goes to church, they will reach out for help. And they may not have, uh, you know, they may not know their victim at the time, whatever. So um, they may, they will likely look very rough around the edges. And unfortunately, what we find out later is that they were treated with so much disrespect. They were treated, uh, they felt so uncomfortable. Uh, the, the people in the church felt really uncomfortable. And so uh, they basically made it very uncomfortable for that person. And so they end up, they end up leaving and they end up continuing uh, maybe in that life. Uh, and so they, they're looking for support. And unfortunately, uh, either it can be so trafficking can happen from, you know, people, people can buy it that are church going. Um, they can be traffickers that, that no one is exempt from that, but also they will, it's also the response. It's also the not being willing to engage and looking the other way and saying, this is too messy. I'm, I, I'm not even willing to look at this in front of me, this person, uh, and labeling them as, whatever X, Y, Z. Uh, um, so it's just, it's really sad because I think that there is an opportunity here. There is, there is a desire from people that are so broken and so in need of reassurance and love and, and just exactly what we've been called to do. And, you know, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of labeling people and thinking, making a quick little judgment, but when we're judging people, we're not able to love them. You know, we're so focused on that. And so I think some of that comes from our own inability to look at our own stuff and be okay with it and, and accept God's grace. Because if we can't accept that in our own lives and our own brokenness, how are we going to do that for other people? So it has to start in your heart. And then you have to, I think, even ask God and say, God, help me, Holy Spirit, help me to see everyone that I encounter with your eyes and through uh, through your perspective, because we have no idea what someone is going going through. Yes, there are warning signs we could talk about, but treating everyone with that dignity and love as we're called to do, uh, that is really going to help. Yeah, as you say a lot, staff cover the vulnerabilities around you or be a lifeline for someone that uh, just is looking for you know, do I matter? Do, do people care? Am I loved? You know, any little shred that you can give and offer, um, it really will make a difference. And, and it could be the difference between somebody coming out of the life of trafficking or not. Uh, that was beautiful, what you just said. And I feel like um, there's so much, <laughs> so many words to say about all of this. And I just want to encourage those of you who are listening who are in a faith community, maybe you're a leader or maybe you're just, you know, an attendee to consider to consider this conversation and to really wrestle with it and and think it over and I and maybe start to look at this issue from not a place of fear or comfort or un, like it makes like you use mm-hmm. the word makes you uncomfortable. It is really uncomfortable and it is really scary and it is really hard. But you know, I believe that my God is bigger than all of that and that he wants us to step into these places. And so I just, I want to challenge you all that if, if you're listening and you're, 
you would call yourself a Jesus follower, you're part of the faith community, that you would that you would follow Jesus into into this hard and into the uncomfortable and yeah. and choose to to ignore fear and and I think I think we've made sexual sin like um this uh worst sin of all sins and it's not you know like we mm-hmm. all make mistakes every single day I to me sin is just turning away from God and oh my mm-hmm. goodness I've already I've been real feisty today so you can just I already <laughs> It's a, I, I think it's your passion coming. <laughs> yeah. Out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But my heart is not always yeah. in, you know, the right place. And we all, we all have been there. We all turn away from God and to other things. Absolutely. We all go to, go to other things for identity other than God. And we all have made something an idol and we all have sinned in our minds and in our hearts. Um, and so when we can come from that place and mm. engage the vulnerable and the broken, we're just, we're just all some, we're all the same. And how can we, absolutely? how can we love from that place? Yeah. And I love that stuff. And, and like when you, when you're able to come to terms with your own brokenness, that's when for, so for me, I just wanted to quick share this before we wrap up. One of the really cool things that God did for me when I was really wrestling with, uh, like pure, um, purity as an idol, virginity as an idol. I, I really, did not love. Um, so this is just me. I didn't love images of God. Um, he's going to cleanse you white as snow because I thought about my experiences that I've had. And I think about like my own brokenness and I, I hated that picture just for me. I just really didn't, I didn't relate to it very well because I'm like, well, but I want to remember, it's not like it never happened. Like God's not trying to say it didn't happen. So in your brokenness, when you're, when you're remembering that brokenness, believe that God will redeem it, not only for you, but for the person that's next to you. Um, he has that ability. He, God gave me this picture of uh broken pottery. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with the Japanese art of, I think it's called Kintsugi. I might be saying that completely wrong. And, uh, I, I keep seeing it. It's so funny. I keep seeing it, but a couple of years ago, I, I thought about that and how it's taking broken pottery and, uh, filling in the, filling in the cracks with gold. And I thought, and I just thought that's, that's me. And that's what I want my story to be. I want to be a broken pottery. That's been come like, I w- I'm going to get emotional. Like that has come back together and is, uh, lacquered in gold and like connected by that. And, and also not only that, but when we have those cracks and there's gold, the light that Jesus wants to shine through that piece of pottery is going to be able to shine through those cracks. Right. So even in the broken places of your story that God wants to redeem, that's where his light's going to shine the brightest. That's where people will see it. Um, so don't think it's too late for me because God is, God is in the work of redemption and he can do it for you and he can do it for the person next to you. Amen. And amen. That's so good. So good. So I think I just want to end by saying, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of good things that can come out of faith communities. And you talked about them at the beginning, belonging, connection, things that we need. If we're going to really see, um, change come when it comes to trafficking and exploitation in labor trafficking and sex trafficking, if we're going to see change in our over-sexualized culture, faith communities have to be at the forefront of that. And so I just want to, again, just challenge people who are people of faith to have the conversations, have the different conversations. Don't be scared. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because it matters and it matters. You, you painted a beautiful picture. It really matters for those who are, are vulnerable. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're all vulnerable, aren't we? Yes, I I absolutely. Yes. We all have vulnerability. And I think that I totally agree with you. And I think that the faith community, we're the, we're the bride of Christ, you know, and I think we look at people wanting to do social justice in the world. And I think everyone we've talked about this stuff. It's like people doing social justice that don't even know their creator. They don't know why they're doing it, but they have his DNA, like in their spiritual DNA, there's the thumbprint of justice, um, and goodness there. So, um, how much more as us who know our creator and the reason behind it, um, how much more light do we have to shine into the world? Um, and the world needs it. I mean, I love that, uh, passage. I think where Paul talks about shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation, um, you know, shine your light because, the world needs it. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Steph. This was so good. So good. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for sharing yes. your personal experience. Thanks for being an advocate. Of course. For yes. People who are being exploited. Yeah. You. Absolutely. You too. Oh my gosh. You're doing amazing work. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode on the Connecting Our Stories podcast. You know, by engaging in hard conversations, you are connecting your story to the hundreds and thousands of people who have experienced abuse or who are um, processing through trauma. And when we connect our stories together, that's when we can have different conversations. We can see people differently and we will see the stories of injustice in our communities change. So if you don't follow us already on iTunes, if you haven't shared this podcast with your friends on social media, I would just ask that you would do that. Give us a review. Give us some love. Give us some shares because this conversation and so many more are so important for all of us to be having together. Your story matters here in this place. And when we come together, we are better for it as a community. Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends.